Welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast, featuring interviews that take us deeper into the people and happenings on the local scene. For more podcasts and a closer look at what's going on in the Valley, visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Hi, welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast. My name is Dave Eisenstatter. I'm the editor of the Valley Advocate. I am here today with Michelle Morantz, the chair of the Longmeadow Pipeline Awareness Group. Um, which just had a recent uh, victory at a special town meeting. Um, And uh, Michelle, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. Um, uh, We had a reporter, Chris Goudreau, who just wrote a story about this. Longmeadow voters say no to gas pipeline project in residential neighborhood. Um, Maybe you could talk a little bit about um, what the voters in Longmeadow were facing with this pipeline project. Okay. Um, In a nutshell, what we're facing is the uh, construction of a gas meter station on uh, a two-acre section of land owned by Longmeadow Country Club. Um, An easement for this property has been sold to Tennessee Gas. And uh, on that two-acre plot, Tennessee Gas is planning to build a pipe and flange which is part of the meter station, and it will occupy one quarter of an acre, according to Tennessee Gas. And Columbia Gas, which is an intrastate gas company, will fill up basically the other part of that two-acre lot with its set of buildings, um, a a boiler, an odorizer, uh, pipes and valves, and all sorts of equipment that's associated with Um, gas processing. And as if the um, meter station itself wasn't bad enough to be placed within a half mile of an elementary school, the meter station will also enable Columbia Gas to attach a high-pressured pipeline that will run at 200 PSI through a densely settled uh, set of neighborhoods on roads that are very well-traveled north through Long Meadow into a residential neighborhood in Springfield. So our group, the Long Meadow Pipeline Awareness Group, has been working for the past 18 months with um, activists from the city of Springfield because it isn't just a Long Meadow Pipeline, it's a Long Meadow Springfield Pipeline. And although we've been doing most of the heavy lifting on this end, we are doing our best to educate and work with uh, the residents of Springfield because there are consequences for them as well. And I should say that uh, you know we we reached out to uh, Tennessee Gas um, as well as uh, Columbia Gas. They didn't um, they didn't uh, respond to or they didn't agree to an interview with us. Um, they did send an open letter um, to customers talking a little bit about the project, um, and what it would affect. But I guess kind of my main question and probably the question a lot of people have is, um, so this is a a project It's being built on private land, two acres of private land, um, you know, uh, relatively small area, two acres. Um, you know, what, what is the, what's the major issue that you see and and what's the danger of, of, uh, of if this project was allowed to go through in, in this specific area? Well, I have philosophical concerns and political concerns, as well as the obvious um, health and safety concerns. And also, I'd have to add economic concerns, because this project has the potential to transform our community. 
um, in a number of ways. You know, the law of unintended consequences, that, that kicks in with something like this. This is a gas processing facility. It's an industrial plant that's going to be in a, you know, a, a neighborhood that's been around for a long time. Uh, a res my, residential neighborhood, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and as I said, the elementary school is less, uh, fewer than uh, 0.5 miles from the facility. But my philosophical and political concerns really speak to what you just said. Uh, from the beginning, when I first learned about this, I was rather stunned, as most people are when they learn about it, that um, this private transaction could take place between two entities, Longmeadow Country Club and Tennessee Gas, two private concerns, can get together and make money. It's a money-making venture that has health, safety, and economic, uh, negative health, safety, and economic ramifications for our community without any public discussion of this. It's like my first response was, how in the world is this allowed to happen in a democracy? It, it almost feels comic, like a like one of these '80s movies. There's, there's the country club, and then the you know the fossil fuel company making a deal. Yeah, that's uh, that is. Uh, I mean, that's a very. Uh, but you, yeah, but anyway, yeah. continue. I'm sorry. It just it <laughs> no, kind of strikes me as like just kind of a humorous. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I mean, almost an Onion article. Yeah, an Onion headline, right? Or uh, yeah, satirical, like. You can't believe that this is actually the reality. So 18 months ago, when I was uh, along with another um, climate activist that I've worked with in Longmeadow, when we were attending a Springfield Climate Justice Coalition meeting in Springfield, uh, we were, we, uh, were in, in, in an audience and presented with a PowerPoint presentation about the uh, five-year reliability plan that Columbia Gas had intended for seven communities in our area. And as I looked closer at the PowerPoint slide and saw the words Longmeadow Pipeline, and I also saw the words non-residential neighborhood, I was really surprised and then immediately perplexed because it isn't in a non-residential neighborhood. Uh, but as I said, more than just Longmeadow is being affected by Columbia Gas's five-year plan, and this small piece of the plan actually affects Longmeadow and Springfield. Um, so August 20th, um, you and uh, many other Longmeadow residents attended a special town meeting where it was nearly unanimously decided that there was going to be a zoning change that would essentially disallow uh, what was being proposed for this project. Can you right. talk about how that meeting and, and, um, and that vote came together? Yes. Um, for 18 months, our group has, once we learned about this uh, proposal for Columbia Gas, I immediately you know, went back to Longmeadow and kind of rounded up five or eight people that I knew would be concerned about this, and we started a series of meetings. Um, immediately uh, after learning about this, uh, was in contact with, we were in contact with people from the Longmeadow Country Club, uh, seeing if there was any way that we could present a research document that would convince the Board of Governors not to make the sale. And uh, one thing I want to clarify, simply because lawyers are involved, is that this isn't technically a sale of the land itself, but it's an easement 
to the sale, uh, an easement to the land. And that easement has been registered in the Registry of Deeds. That's what happens. But uh, that was the negotiation. So this group of eight, which expanded to 10 people, two of whom were uh, chemistry professors. We had an attorney uh, that was on the group, presented a three-page document to the Board of Governors, trying to persuade them not to do this, um, basically making an argument for why this was a terrible idea, um, not only for the community, but for them as, as a country club. And um, that decision was made, that was supposed to be made sometime in July, and the, the decision to sell the easement was made at the end of November. But, you know, we could have, we wanted this to... This is all last year. This is all last year. And as we've gone along, we have persisted in communicating with our select board because, obviously, um, we thought if the select board could intervene, that would be very helpful to us. And that was not really a fool's errand, but it was uh, a very frustrating experience. Because we're still work trying to work with the select board on this, but our town manager, who is no longer our town manager, really thought this was a great idea because he was looking in terms of the money that the town would get uh, from Tennessee Gas. They like to grease the wheels. Um, you know, Weymouth, Massachusetts, for example, has been offered tens of millions of dollars by Enbridge in order to convince them to accept a, a compressor station being built there. But uh, Weymouth has rejected that money. Our town manager thought, oh, this is a nice chunk of change. I think we should proceed. And of course, it would be absolutely safe. Long story short, um, we persisted in asking the select board to hold a pub public meetings that to discuss this issue. That uh, didn't happen. So um, we uh, decided that our best shot sometime in March would be to make our case in front of an energy facility siting board public hearing that had to be held as part of the whole process. And um, through the intervention of Senator Lesser and, and Representative Ash. Senator Eric Lesser, yes. who's, who's from Longmeadow. Yes, he is. Uh, and in between all of these times, we're meeting with Senator Lesser, a bright, a Representative Ash. We're, you know, we're meeting with a lot of people. Uh, Richard Neal's office. We're meeting, meeting with Ed Markey's office, uh, trying to educate them and see if they have any suggestions. Uh, but in March, uh, Senator Lesser and Representative Ash um, helped with getting the public hearing to come to Longmeadow. And that was really wonderful. And so there was the EFSB. Uh, we had about 130 people at that hearing. 40 people testified in terms of uh, their feelings about the proposed project. And there was no one, no one uh, testified in favor of the project. All 40 people were testifying against it. And subsequent to that, um, the EFSB issued their report, which was about as positive as any uh, state board could be, I think, about what we were facing. And in essence, they said, the people of Longmeadow have a lot of questions about this project, and we believe that they deserve answers. So that, that really felt good. 
Um, and then, again, we're gaining more members along the way. Some of more, more attorneys are, are joining our ranks. And at some point, uh, we decided in April that we should try to work on a zoning bylaw to help make this facility as safe as possible. And, and I mean, a, a, a zoning bylaw change, you know, when you have, when you, I know because I've sat through a lot of these special town meetings. I mean, it's you need two thirds of vote, and it's sometimes difficult to educate people on exactly what is happening and what changes. And a lot of, um, I mean, in my experience, what has happened a lot of times is that people get confused, and when people are confused, they vote no. Um, and uh, so it's in some ways remarkable that this went through without a whole lot of opposition from the from the town's voters. And you hit on the real nub of the matter as far as um, educating the community goes. It's very confusing. And the confusion, because you're dealing with an interstate a gas company, which is Tennessee Gas, and an intrastate company, which is Columbia Gas. The interstate gas companies, one of the things we've learned along the way is that they have something called super approval rights, which were given to them by virtue of the Natural Gas Act of 1938. And in essence, that permits interstate gas companies to ignore local uh, zoning bylaws. You know, if, if there is a zoning bylaw saying you can't, we don't want any gas facility in our town, uh, Tennessee Gas can say, too bad, it's happening. Intrastate gas companies aren't subject to the super approval rights. So there are more uh, hurdles, if you will, um, put up through uh, by way of hearings uh, and uh, appearances before. You know, uh, panels and groups that would justify their doing what they're doing. So to, to fast forward to what happened a week ago on August 20th, um, we have been very clear with our members and with the community, with the Longmeadow community, that it is unlikely that our efforts will prevent the construction of the pipe and flange that Tennessee Gas is planning to build, simply because on that of the natural, on, yeah, on that small piece of the parcel, and we've been very clear that this August twentieth vote was targeted at Columbia Gas, not Tennessee Gas, because of the possibility of uh, making our case before a state agency. Um, so. I'm kind of getting into the weeds here, but one of the things I wanted to say is in, in May, before we did, uh, before we did this uh, August bylaw, we had an earlier bylaw change, which we worked on. We wrote, our legal team wrote it. When I say legal team, I mean volunteers wrote um, a series of bylaws that would that say, in essence, if a gas facility comes to Longmeadow, uh, they are mandated to respect very strict uh, standards and restrictions regarding emissions. And that passed at uh, the Maytown meeting. Again, I think there were five negative votes hmm. at the Maytown meeting. And that was a meeting that had 
oh, I think easily over 300 people there. So, you know, we got that passed, and that does address Tennessee gas and Columbia gas. Any gas facility, if you come to town, you are financially responsible for monthly assessments of emissions. You have to turn in those reports to the select board. If you violate them, you, there are a series of fines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we recognizing that um, we may not win this, but we wanted to try as best we could to hold their feet to the fire, so to speak, hopefully not literally, Well, it, it <laughs> when it comes to, to that. It strikes me that uh, this is not a particularly friendly time for gas companies, possibly. I mean, one thing that we've been dealing with here in Western Mass is the moratorium that some people are suspecting uh, you know, why is this moratorium happening? Is this something that uh, the gas companies are putting forward for a specific agenda? And then there's the, and then of course there are the explosions that happened um, on the other side of the state uh, that um, have really made people stop and think about the safety of um, of using gas and of and of these uh, gas companies. So there, you know, the, I mean, it, it's a. It's maybe a, a more difficult time for them and, and hopefully an, an easier time for you from your perspective to kind of be bringing these things up. Well, I was, um, I was just talking about the fact this morning that the New York Times um, has a headline that talks about um, the EPA now rolling being asked by the administration to roll back um, Obama-era mandates requiring that gas and oil companies report and then and then eventually repair gas and oil leaks at the wellhead along the pipeline and its storage facilities and that that simple and very valuable standard is threatened right now so i think it's a friendly right now at this point in time it's unfortunately a friendly time for the fossil fuel industry. Um, and one of the things that I made clear during my presentation is that as far as the news goes, yes, gas explosions and gas, massive gas leaks are reported, but generally, unless they're on the scale of um, what happened in Merrimack Valley, the report goes out for a day, and then, and then it's it becomes history, and people forget about it. Uh, one of the things I talked about last Tuesday is that, you know, just a couple of things. July third in Charlotte, North Carolina, a house blew up, um, killing the woman who was inside it. July fifth, there was an explosion in uh, Nevada, in a dorm, eight people injured. August 1st, there was a Kentucky gas line, 30-inch pipeline, that uh, ruptured and created a hole that was uh, an area, rather, that was as, almost as big as a football field. You know, it goes on forever. August 15th, a gas evacu evacuation in Springfield. Five homes were evacuated. August 14th, a gas leak in at the Longmeadow Post Office. Um, on August 5th, there was a gas line ruptured at the State House because const a construction crew cut into a gas line, and it was an hour and a half before the gas company arrived to uh, repair it. So it really is happening a lot. 
And um, on August 25th, this is the latest one, there was a massive gas explosion that wrecked a Maryland shopping center. It totaled the building mm. uh, at 8 a.m. And, you know, people look at that, maybe they don't, they don't even see it, but this cannot possibly become the new normal. You know, we're just seeing a lot more, it's a more frequent occurrence of these accidents. So uh, in some ways you're kind of celebrating a victory here oh, yeah. um, with, with the, with the yeah. vote. But at the same time, um, as, uh, as you're quoted as saying, and other folks are saying as well, this, this likely isn't the end for the, this no. uh, project. And, um, and I'm wondering kind of what you see happening from here, um, you know, certainly in the short term with this project, but also maybe in the long term in terms of the state um, energy mix. You know, what, what, are, what are the things that, that you're going to continue to do to fight this project? And what do you think the, whole, the state as a whole can be doing to, um, to uh, avoid basically communities and neighborhoods like yours being put in the situation that we're being put in? Wow, that's, that's a big question. And so if I start rambling and going off in other directions, please, uh, you know, draw me back. What, in, in essence, uh, this was a, a really um, heartwarming and exhilarating victory for us. Uh, when Chris Goudreau reported uh, the numbers, we didn't have the exact number in but I did subsequently call the town clerk, and there were almost two, there were 259 people that signed in, voters that signed in. So it was, uh, that's quite a, a sizable audience for a special town meeting, and only three negative votes out of that. So we were really uh, buoyed by uh, the support of the community with that. Uh, we're having a meeting tonight at uh, the Greenwood Center at 7 o'clock in which we talk about those next steps. Obviously, as Chris reports, um, the Attorney General's office, the, the, the bylaw has gone to the Attorney General's office for the office's approval, and that takes 90 days. We're hoping that we can move on this a little bit faster because of, of the threat. I mean, Tennessee Gas said that their uh, project was going to be completed in the spring of 2019. So we've managed to throw up some obstacles, but I don't for a minute think that they are going to relent on this. So time is of the essence. And the other thing we're going to decide tonight is how we are going to lobby, because I think the next step really is to go back now, even though our state officials know about this more than they did 18 months ago. They need, we need to hear from them. What, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to help us? And you know, it, so there will, there will be hearings because this bylaw has, ha, and we're anticipating that the bylaw will be approved by the Attorney General's office. There will be hearings about this. There may be um, moments in which Tennessee Gas says, we are going to, uh, we're, we're breaking ground in two weeks. So as a community, we're going to be faced with what will be our community's response. Um, in, according to the lawyers that we have working with us, again, they're volunteers and members of the group, they are still, Tennessee Gas and Columbia Gas, are still obligated to deal with 
local bureaucracy. They still have to pull, they have to get a building permit. They have to get permissions uh, for the driveway. Um, and according to something that uh, one of our members sent me today, they are, right now, it's, it's pro forma for them to appear before a zoning bylaw, the zoning bylaw um, appeals, there's a zoning appeals committee in town. So all of that really has to happen. They can't leapfrog over, well, you know, here's our, here's our bulldozer and we're going to start digging. Uh, no, you've, you've got to submit site design plans um, to the planning board and they have to approve those plans and um, the building inspector has to issue that building permit. And so, you know, what if? I mean, it could be a lot of drama. What if they just pull their machinery up and uh, they haven't jumped through those hoops? Do we call our police force? You know, mm. <laughs> what's, what's, we don't know. I mean, um, hopefully it won't get into the drama of all of that. But, you know, it's, as, as a citizen, it's like, it, it's it's really dispiriting to think that they would even consider that, but that's that's the way we're we're uh, creating scenarios yeah. and what are our options, and in addition to state officials, we're going back to Congressman Neal's office and saying, what influence do you have with FERC? FERC has never that's met the the federal Federal Energy Res uh, Regul Regulatory Commission. Uh, FERC has never met a pipeline it hasn't approved. And that's why we've been very upfront with our community about this. But there's always a first time. Um, so we'll turn to Congressman Neal for help there, and we'll also turn to Senator Markey and Senator Warren's office. Senator Markey is facing at least one challenger. Um, and I would think that, and he's he has been an environmentalist from the get-go, so this is not heavy lifting for him at all. He knows exactly what needs to be done, but what we'll be asking is for him to become much more public, have a presence in, in the resistance. And Senator Warren, as you know, wonderful as she is, it would, be wonder it would be even more terrific if she would take on climate action and be ver have a presence with, with our uh, action. Well, uh, Michelle Morantz, thank you so much for, for coming <laughs> in and, and chatting about this um, project. We'll, we'll definitely be following along. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit us at valleyadvocate.com.